Welcome to episode 229 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. This episode is sponsored by Dream Symbols. If you were listening to the NAMM Show wrap-up show, we talked about Dream's new series, the Eclipse series. This was based on a ride symbol that came out a couple years back, 21-inch ride that is half lathe from the middle of the bow out to the edge, and the bell in the inner part of the bow is completely raw. So that was a very popular item. They've since expanded to a full series with hi-hats, uh, 15-inch hi-hats, a few crashes, two ride symbols. There's a 21, there's also a big 23. So later in the episode, we are going to compare the 21 and the 23, because at the NAMM show, I was feeling like I liked the 21 better, and then all the guys at Dream were saying the 23 was the one, so we're going to let you hear them both, and then you can decide. If you're interested in these symbols, um, just go to Dream's uh, website, find out where their dealers are closest to you. There's also some great demos on Dream's YouTube channel, so Dream Symbols and Gongs. There's some really nice play, uh, full-track play-alongs by their artist, Phil Hawkins. Um, yeah, check it out, and let's get the show going. Mr. Elon. <laughs> it's been three weeks that we've been trying to make Elon our featured artist. I know. Thank you. So for I can't. We have to. If we say it right in the beginning, we have to get to him. <laughs> I think, you know what? The reason we're skipping Elon is because he doesn't need us. He's doing just he fine on I mean, his own. He really doesn't. It's kind of feel like we're doing ourselves. Uh, we're trying to make ourselves look cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're doing the association thing. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. We know Elon. <laughs> Yeah, he's a, it was a he was a guest on our podcast. Hey, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was three, a guest. Like, times. well, we talked about him. <laughs> we talked about talking about him. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good, man. You might hear some power drills and some buzz saws going on in the background. We've got construction going on. What is going on? Here. Are you remodeling? Oh, you mentioned it before. You're you're kind of getting rid of an office or something. Is that what's happening? Mm-hmm. Yep. What else? Yep. <laughs> no, this you is move it in, so. You this is the bedroom in there. I, well, because. Because I want like a big reveal, I can't really tell you uh, what we're doing. Okay. All right, but all right. I can tell you this, Mister Marketer. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, that's called a tease, Mike. <laughs> Stick around till after the break, and I'll tell you what we're doing. Oh, uh, no. So no, so uh, you know, I, I've been in the same building for about ten years now, or a little over ten years, and I get antsy sometimes, and I start looking around our little. We're in this. I mean, you've been here, our little tiny town where everything's in walking distance and I look at other buildings and it freaks Amber out because she knows that it's, you know, we've never had a loan. We've never had investment. Everything that's here was just us nickel and diming it. Mm -hmm. And if there was profit, we got a new camera. And if there was more profit, we put a new wall behind the drum set. We (laughs) we built it over (laughs) a decade. And when we think about like, Oh, look at that giant open space. She's like, there's no walls. You have to pay for those. And so to get a building just to where I'm currently already at is a huge chunk of an investment. Yeah. And oh, because like we're so against it. Oh, they're like actually buying a place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, or, or even taking Lease over it. another lease and then, but still it's like, well, it's an empty space. And most of the commercial real estate around here is so old that there's, there's no like big corporations that are like, yeah, and we'll give you, $100,000 of tenant improvements. Mm. You just come in and they're like, yeah, whatever you want to do, go for it. But it's on your dime. <laughs> and because we don't want to have business partners or anything, it would be our personal dime. And yeah. so anyways, Amber said, what's it going to take to make you happy and, and stop thinking about moving? <laughs> and I said, if I had this one thing, 
I'd be so happy. So that's what the construction is. Oh, so man. this is not for the campers. So it's this your is just to make You're me happy. You're putting in a bedroom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're moving in. I don't. I don't consider it a bedroom just because it has bunk beds. But yes. <laughs> We can, you can stay over now. So anyway, so construction's going on. Um, kind of starting to prep now for things that I have. Uh, some drum festivals coming up. I will say this that I'm really excited about. It looks like Jason McGurr and I are going out on a West Coast Clinic tour. Like that's actually going to happen at the end of March. Awesome. So I'm That'd really excited cool. about that. Um, give you guys more details when we have more details. Honestly, it was just in talks. Then we finally brought it to Gretch and said, okay, here's the dates that we're looking at. Would you guys want to do this with us? And then obviously mm. we'll get all of our other companies, but that's the only endorsement we share. Yeah. And yeah, it looks like it's going to happen. I'm super, super excited because the whole point of this is to bring people joy that are, oh my God, my ringer's on. What am I, a child? Uh, <laughs> Phones ring? <laughs> I, I, mine doesn't. Uh, so, so anyway, so yeah, so we're just trying to bring something new to the clinic world that is... As silly as it is, it's just more inclusive. I mean, I think you and I both do that in our clinics, which is like, we're not here to dominate you. We're not here to yeah. show you the physical prowess of the instrument. We're here to just inspire you to play this thing that we play and to be frustrated the same way we are, but be okay with it. Yeah, for me, it's 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 similar concept. Like, I, I almost always open up with, hey, if you're here for, like, crazy drum solos, you can go ahead and go somewhere else because that will never happen in a room where i'm playing drums ever <laughs> and i think that just breaks the ice it's like i'm not here to impress you or show off i'm just going to show you some things that have worked for me to get to a point where i feel like i don't hate my drumming and then maybe you could enjoy that as well you know i was uh, a guest uh, this last week on yasid's podcast the what is it the not unsung heroes but the i don't know something here just, just, I think you set it up for me. The good, Disposable Heroes good podcast. Promo. No, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, well, I was going to thank you. Anyways, the Disposable Heroes podcast, it was awesome. And uh, one thing that we talked about was that I think this relates to what you're saying and, and what you and I are both trying to give to the audience, which is as soon as I see somebody play, let's say that I just watch one of your videos and I didn't know you personally. As soon as I see your touch on the instrument, I hear a couple of things that involve some pretty deep independence, but not by showing off. It's just like, okay, cool. He's able to keep his left foot going while he's doing that. Then I hear some texture in your groove and there's ghost notes and there's accents. And then I hear a little bit of melody in your improvisations. Just that alone, it gives me a snapshot on what the last 30 years of your life has been like. And it bonds us together because I know what you must have went through to get to where you're at. Mm. And when we see that, even if I see just a bar gig drummer guy, and he's just got a good left hand. I just think, like, you, you weren't born like that, man. Like, I know what you must have missed out on as a teenager to develop that. <laughs> right. <laughs> we are family. And so I think that that's something that drummers have is this thing where we instantly recognize, uh, damn, getting windy around there. Holy cow. I think there's like a, hur a winter hurricane blowing through. <laughs> Move to Folsom. <laughs> All we have is rain three times a year. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, so I, I think that that's something that in clinics, in drum festivals, in our day-to-day -day lives working with drummers, you and I are both always trying to just say, look, we're going to have to go through the same stuff, but we're going to end up at a very different destination, which will be personal. And that's that's the reason why we always have room for more drummers. Yeah. No sure. one has done everything yet. 
So what are the dates of the stuff you have coming up? Do you know? Do you have so the only thing I know about, I've got the 21 Drums Drum Camp uh, that's moved to Tuscany, Italy. If anybody, it's almost sold out now. So that's uh, Matt Halpern, Ashton, Mark Juliana, and me. If anybody wants to learn more about that, just go to 21drumscamp.com and get all the info there. So I've got that coming up. And the meals, and, the food is going to be Oh my insane. gosh. Good gosh. That's the heck with and, the drumming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And not to mention that uh, there will be Italian cooking classes every night. Oh, so Because wow. we've rented an entire village. So we've rented all the restaurants. We've rented all the villas and everything we have access to. And so there will be cooking classes at night. And you can obviously watch everyone else drink wine. Uh, <laughs> I will be the designated walk you back to your room guy since I'll be hopped up on matcha. Uh, but yeah, so hey, it's going to be a lot of matcha fun. with you. Yeah. Okay. I so for something like this, I usually I'll bring a little bit of matcha. I mean, matcha's. I don't know if you've looked into it, but a, a tiny can of ceremonial grade matcha is thirty bucks. So mm. I don't I don't go like who wants matcha. Like <laughs> that's in my room by myself. Y'all ain't getting none of that. <laughs> that's hilarious. But then I do bring like loose leaf green tea, and I'll be like, "Would you like a tea?" Uh. And then I'll, I'll I'll so I'll let y'all can have some leaves, <laughs> but you can't have the powdered leaves. So anyway, so. Um, so yeah, so I've got that going on. I've got the UK drum show. Uh, looks like Jason and I are going to do the thing at the end of March. It'll be the last week of March and that'll just be a few shops in California and then some in Oregon and some in Seattle. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll get more firm dates later, but I all, the reason I brought all that up is now I'm in practice mode. I'm practicing drums heavily. You know what happens for me? Cause I have, um, I'm going to transition to promoting my own stuff. <laughs> February 19th, I'm going to be in Santa Cruz for Sugar Percussion is hosting a night. They're calling it Circles in the Round, a clinic collective conversation about all things drums. So Jefferson's going to be there to talk about drum building. Uh, awesome. Zach Olson, a local drummer educator, is going to be there. I'm going to be there representing Modern Drummer and also presenting a little bit of my stuff. So that's, that's February 19th, 7.30 p.m. The reason I bring it up. It seems like every time I have one of these these events, the two weeks before it, my schedule gets so chaotic that I literally don't practice, and it, and I don't know really? how to it even. It's I'm not sabotaging myself. It's just literally like, huh? It always happens that way. It seems before oh, PASIC, okay. like four days before PASIC, I I didn't have time to do anything except just maintenance. Like there was all the work right. had to been done months ahead of time. It's just weird. Yeah. So I'm in the moment now where like I haven't hit my drums in five days. Like that's weird. Gosh, yeah, <laughs> I mean that I'm, is <laughs> that is very weird. But but I think that uh, I, I'm kind of in a similar boat right now. I'm also writing the 2020 camp curriculum, mm-hmm. and I scheduled this time knowing there was going to be construction going on. I wasn't going to be able to film any videos, uh, and so yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Like a lot of my camp curriculum gets written with me on my pad kit at home. Uh, and I just work things out and I run to the computer and I write it and I'm, I'm constantly thinking like how the day's going to flow and how are the campers going to feel like, well, I can't put this class at 3 p.m. because at 2 p.m. they just had a class that completely defeated them and I need to now bring up their mood. So let's actually mm. put the trading fills class and but it's going to be with the restriction of eighth notes only. So we're all equalized and nobody can show off. And I have to think about literally 12 hours from the time they start, well, I'd say more like 10 hours, but from like 10 a.m. until 8 p.m., 
I'm managing their mood and the journey that they're going on the whole time and making sure that they're being tested when they can handle it the most and that they're being excelled and, and excited when they need it the most. And it's, it's a, it's a weird thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't have to, I'm bad about camps. Since I, when I used to teach drumline, like when I was in college, I would teach local high schools. Okay. I didn't learn the art of the mental break. It was, <laughs> I don't take breaks. I don't care if someone tells me I sound good. So I'm never going to do that for you either. And man, so crazy. I think, I don't know. I, don't know, I probably should have been in the military. <laughs> it's like nothing is good enough. You suck. Everything sucks. Everybody sucks. Get down and do some more push ups. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's tough because I, I do have to show them their weak points. I, I do have to do the, hey, everything sucks without saying it. It's almost like I need you to discover that the things you thought you could do, you can't do. But I also need to make sure you don't leave here thinking that that's where I left you. I left you. I have to get you to a plan and I have you for five days. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we really Tuesday. So the camp starts on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. We literally call that suicide watch. Everyone wants to kill themselves. Everyone wants to go home and mm-hmm. we know it. But it's like I wrote the camp curriculum based off of knowing you would mentally be there. And I will pick you up on Thursday and Friday without being fake about it. I will pick you up by showing you like, look, you actually can do a lot. You're actually doing really good. And now you have a plan in place to fix those things that got highlighted. And those are the things that your guitarist and your bass player are too shy to tell you. Mm, You paid me the money to tell you that there's no way they're going to turn around and be like, just so you know, all of your fills suck. (laughs) And we hate it every time you leave the hi hat. They're never going to say that. I played a gig this weekend. I got it. I played a gig this weekend and I don't know if it was a backhanded compliment or if it was a diss on other drummers. I'm not quite sure. Right. But it was like, man, you just sound like you're ready for the studio. I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> That's a dude. What does that mean? Does that mean right. that your your normal drummer just is all over the place? Does that mean I'm does it boring? Mean that I don't, yeah, I'm boring and I don't play fills and uh, I'm, I'm not exciting. Man, you're just like. You should be not seen in public. Okay, thank you. It's like, you got a face for the studio. Man, you're a radio guy. Well, I think we can all agree that we all go through this stuff, and I hope you guys know that we are in it with you. That is the whole point of this podcast. Now, let's get into some good stuff. What are we talking about first? Oh, gosh. Well, should we break order and talk about Elon Rubin? Nope, we're going to save it. Let's talk about world rhythms. There's... I'm telling you, World Rhythms is opening Pandora's box that we there's no chance we're getting to Elon today. No, so we might just have uh, to totally yeah. abandon ship with him. Sorry, Elon. Keep doing your thing. You'll make it one day. Yeah. You're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're getting there, buddy. You're getting there. Going to get a gig. can see it. Uh, okay, so let's talk about World Rhythms. I brought up to you the fact <clears> that I wanted to discuss something that you and I would have both gone through probably in our late teens or, or maybe mid-teens, which is learning world rhythms and obviously you and I both had the safety net of jazz band to tell us, well, I have to learn this stuff, Mm. but we weren't learning it selfishly. Like this makes me a better drummer. It was more like, I got to learn this beat because we're playing Afro blue or because we're playing night in Tunisia. And I don't know what the heck that thing was in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't, I can't have the first chair drummer play the A sections and I come in for the swing part. So I'm going to have to learn whatever the hell that was. And you certainly can't read what's on the chart. You know, 
what was that right oh yeah that, that's ripping. construction <laughs> it's getting real but yeah no exactly and so uh, I remember the the night in Tunisia jazz band chart in junior high said Latin feel. Yes. It's like what? Yeah, and it didn't even write out any notes. It just said Latin feel, and then there was like a hundred measures of of repeat. I was like, what is Latin feel? So I'm, I'm eleven. The jump ahead a bit. Whenever I see that, I immediately think Afro Cuban Latin and yes. not Brazilian Latin. Is that the same for you? Yeah. If someone of says give me a Latin feel, I think mambo rather than mambo. Yeah, samba. and I think what I call Casio keyboard mambo, like. They don't even know anything about that world. So I think, okay, what I what Latin feel to me actually means there should be a cross stick. There should be two rack tom hits at some point, and there should be a bell pattern. <laughs> oh my God, that's such an American version. And we all think that way. It's like, right, hey, but that's what I was, I mean, we learned. Yeah. And no care to where my bass drum goes. No care. Like left foot. If you, if I can, you get it. If I can't, whatever. But as long as I, when I see Latin feel, I see, I think bell part, acrostic and two rack tom hits at some point. Distilling like centuries of culture and heritage <laughs> down to that, that it goes back deep. to that thing that you and I have talked about when I saw Ignacio Baroa at PASIC and him saying like hey heads up Americans you are playing our culture <laughs> right. when we play American music we're kind of playing your songs uh, you're yeah. playing our culture and our heritage can you take some more care about this so <laughs> what I wanted to talk about was at least the experience I went through now I don't know what it was like for you on the east coast but I'm a California kid and at some point I was challenged with this thing of, okay, I'm, I'm out of high school jazz band. Do I actually want to learn what a Wawanko is versus a Mambo versus a Mozambique versus Songo? Do they all fall under this massive category of salsa or Latin? Like I'm hearing these terms like Latin and I'm like, does Latin include Brazil? I don't know. So at say 16, between 16 and 20, I'm forced with this thing. Like, do I buy these books that have this stuff in it? And I wanted to really first start discussing, do you need to learn these rhythms? Do you need to learn these grooves? And if so, why? Um, And this came up. I just taught a private lesson the other day. Guy came in, really good drummer. And he was asking me about funk and texture. And I could tell he wanted to get a little bit of that Garibaldi sauce in there. Mm. And at some point, just naturally, I mean, this was definitely not my plan, but uh, he's not a normal week to week student. He just came in for a, like a one lesson. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have any plan. And at some point I was like, do you know the song go? And he's like, no. And I'm like, Oh my God, that would unlock your entire life. Mm-hmm. Everything that's locked to you right now would be unlocked with this one measure groove. If you feel it in 16th or two measures, if you feel it in eights. But as, as soon as you had that, you'd have it all. And yeah. then I can give you a million song go variations and it would just seep into your playing. And that took me on the journey of going back in my own time. Cause he was asking like, how do you know all this stuff? Cause I went into the whole history of Changuito and Los Von Von. And mm. I was like, Oh man, you got to know this stuff. And then I thought like, do you need to know this stuff? <laughs> what did it unlock for me? Yeah. Um, so let's start with, let's start with Cuban. Um, <clears throat> it could be Cuban or we could even go Brazil, but definitely in Cuban. I think of Cuban as being heavy on the rhythm. And when I think African, I think heavy on the melody. And when I think Afro-Cuban, I bring the two together. So when I think Cuban, I I think of independence. And I'm talking about this not as Cuban music. I'm saying as an American white kid 
in California. When I had to learn Cuban stuff, it was like, okay, three, two rumba clave with left hand. My feet are playing a tumbao and my right hand is playing a cascara. Mm-hmm. And that is a grip load of independence for a rocker kid. Yeah. Yeah. I think of if someone says, give me a, a Cuban feel, I think you're, you're mimicking a percussion section. Correct. First and foremost, yeah. like you just have to pick which which instrument is it going to be the clave? Is it going to be the shaker? Is it going to be the timbales? Is it going to what the congas? Yeah. What do you just pick your instrument within this? This I, I definitely think of it as if if I'm in an ensemble, I just think who isn't here? I'll cover their part. Mm. That's the scariest thing is when there's a full percussion section. I'm like I shouldn't be, here. <laughs> but so if we were just if I just said that if I said okay I want you to play. <laughs> 3-2 cascara on the shell on the side of the floor tom. 3-2 uh, rumba clave with your left hand and a tumbao with your feet. You don't have to do left foot clave. Uh, just that alone. I, I can't think of anything in pop, funk, drumming that has that much independence. How could that not make you better? Yeah, no. I mean, and yeah, to back up a bit about the general question of why you should learn it, I think if you're going to do any kind of R&B, soul, or early rock and roll, that music is heavily influenced by the Cuban culture of New York. And, you know, I mean, so yes. these rhythms are in these Motown songs. You'll just hear totally. them. Soul man. Yeah. I mean, just pick your, pick your Motown hit, and you're going to hear something that has some sort of a Mambo-inspired part at some point to it. Right. So that answers that first part of the question. But, yeah, the... The independence development and the the sense of phrasing. If you only work in four four one bar chunks, you're always going to be locked. Totally. Whereas you can't learn you can't learn a mambo beat without thinking of it in two bars. You just can't. It doesn't right. work. It's a two bar pattern. Yeah. Absolutely. And the other thing is, in American pop, funk, or even just uh, even European, but pop and funk and rock, generally, if if somebody says repetition to me. As a rock drummer, I, I only really relate it to the bass drum. Like, yes, I will repeat that kick pattern. But there might be some extra ghosts. There might be an open hi-hat. But the the loop is happening really between the kick and the backbeat. Mm-hmm. So when you go over to the Latin side of things, all of a sudden that loop is happening everywhere. Your left hand is playing ga, 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 ga. But it's not, oh, go ahead and mess with that. Whatever you feel. It's like, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. You please don't that. ever mess with that. <laughs> yeah, play that. Because... Her dance steps go with it, and she will fall if you mess with that. Uh, and then there may be like a little bit of interpretational freedom on the bell, but my feet are generally doing what they're doing. They're playing an ostinato. My left hand's playing an ostinato, and my right hand's playing an ostinato of gink, 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 you know, whatever that may be for the groove. So there's all these things going together, and I think it probably is the first time that a drummer might feel like they're making music on the drum set. Yeah, you're not just playing beats because it's not exactly. beats. Yeah, and just like I said originally, just the the fact that you're just mimicking an entire section of percussionists, the opportunity for you to create your own versions of this, if you if you check out the way it's traditionally played, that opens up everything. Like maybe I don't want to play the clave part with the left hand. Maybe I want to mimic the the conga rhythms, which then allows you to be a little bit more improvisatory. Yeah. So then, how do you anchor it? Improvisatory. <laughs> Improvisational. I think it's improvisatory. Is it? I think that's if if you're having problems going boom boom, <laughs> and they give you an improvisatory. Oh my god! <laughs> Let's drop in a example of a Whoa. mambo, shall we? <laughs> boom. 
<laughs> this is Mongo Mongo by Mongo Santa Maria, classic Latin jazz. This is, a, I think, a textbook example of like a mid-tempo mambo. Right away, one of the things that, as a teacher, I find that my students have trouble with when I start teaching them anything Latin-based is the lack of one. Mm-hmm. So they really struggle to find the beat. And one of the things that I do, normally, if I was going to teach somebody jazz, I start with the music. That's where we're going to start, and then we're going to build from there, and you're going to learn the drums. A lot of times, I actually will teach them. Maybe the foot ostinato will build some freedom will bring in the right hand pattern, especially if I can get them playing either three, two or two, three cascara rhythm, the right hand. And the reason why I do that is because then they instantly recognize it in the piano part or in this, in that example, it was a keyboard part, mm-hmm. but that Montuno, they're like, Oh, I can hear the time there. Ginko, 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 tika, 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 ginko, 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 tika. And it's like, yeah, that's been happening the whole time. You've just been trained to listen for kick and snare to find your time. Yeah. Which is all on the off beats there is no right yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so it's it's a it's a it's definitely something that i think no matter what you're gonna do it's important to learn this stuff i remember taking my first songo groove out on tour with simon says and right hand was on a 20 inch china and left hand was on floor tom and my band was like that is the coolest thing ever and that was at the exact same time that uh, what's his name from the original uh, Max Calvera from Sepultura was bringing all the Brazilian stuff into Sepultura. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh my gosh, that dude just dropped the heat on some Baducada yeah, in yeah. Sepultura. This yeah, is amazing. Yeah. So we transitioned into Brazilian then. Yeah. So definitely a whole different side of things. Wait, before you know what, before we do that, I think, I think six, eight Afro-Cuban should be something we differentiate. Cause I think that's, there's probably the two things that you're expected to be able to play either some sort of a mambo vibe that has a duple feel and then some yeah. sort of version of that that has a more triplet feel especially but in jazz environments because it 100% easily transitions into transitions. A swing feel and you have to be prepared for whoever the band leader is or whoever the section leader is to use a mul- multiple of terms to describe it mm-hmm. to say well do you know a bembe do you yeah, know yeah. a nanigo? I'm like, you mean a traditional ceremony in Africa? <laughs> you mean just a, so, a Latin feel in 6 8 is what you mean? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what we hope for is they'll say, can you play like Afro Cuban 6 8? Yes. Like, <laughs> um, but it is important to know all these things to be like, I know what you mean. Yes, I can do it. Now, I so, think of you, uh, the, the Led Zeppelin Full in the Ring chorus beat as being oh, yeah. clearly influenced by a 6-8 uh, Afro-Cuban kind of a feel with that 3-over-2 on the bell and all of that. Yep. Um, so and I think that if that you song, can you know. And if you can play this groove and if your teacher is just smart enough to tell you hey, I want you to do four bars of this groove and four bars of jazz swing time you don't have to change and I mean it's just there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. it just flows so easy and then you just realize 
the history of where jazz came from. And then you kind of think, oh, okay, maybe I should learn more about the history and the culture and where <laughs> <Right>. this all, <laughs> because this stuff is so related. And then uh, let's play it. But I also want to talk about where this can lead on a practical level. Okay. So this is a pretty classic version of the song Afro Blue. Uh, this version is by Cal Jader. It also features Vince Guaraldi and Willie Bobo and Mongo Santa Maria. I picked this one because this is a standard that we almost every jazz group plays, but almost no one plays it this way where it's more of a 3-4 feel. So it's still the 6-8, quote-unquote, Afro-Cuban bell pattern, but they're subdividing it more with a 3-4 feel, which I think is a topic that we could go down a rabbit hole, that you can feel this groove in duple and triple simultaneously. So here it is. This is a classic version. doesn't come up when I hold my classes six, eight or three, four. <laughs> Cause then somebody be like, well, what about this? I'm like, uh, the answer is Both. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so there are these standards that we, if you grew up in jazz band, you played these and, that's we're so, I think you and I are both very lucky or anyone that grew up in school music. We're very lucky that, the tunes we had to play forced us into learning things we probably wouldn't have learned on our own. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just um, a swing feel, a shuffle for a shuffle. Yeah. I, I'm still doing this seven four up tempo ride cymbal pattern that I learned from a Pat Metheny tune. Mm. No thirteen year old should know who Pat Metheny is. <laughs> it's illegal. It can be punished for that. And but I, I still ding 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 ding. And so still learn that stuff. And I think it's really cool that we have this in our past. Now, Afro-Cuban 6-8, or this feel, what it led me to, and I don't know if you have a name for this, but it led me to the halftime version of it with a backbeat. That's like the fusion drummer groove Yes, of this. And when I realized, so I learned this first. I learned that way before... I dropped that into halftime and thought, oh, my God, I'm the best drummer to ever live. (laughs) I was 17, but I really at that moment, I was like, Mom, open the garage. The neighbors need to hear this. I just figured out the world. Now, do you ever teach it as a double paradiddle? Of course. Yeah. So the double paradiddle is that's what I use that when we're learning the double paradiddle on a kit. I mean, on a pad. Okay. When we're learning that and they're like, this is stupid. I'm like, oh, really? And then they go, that was the same thing. I'm like, note for note. Yeah, right. Yeah, oh my God. Come on, kids. So I do, but but once we've learned the Afro-Cuban 6-8 feel, then 
I say, just so you know, let's do one bar of that bell pattern followed by one bar of double paradiddle just to break it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it, and that becomes this new two bar phrase and it's not so repetitive. And um, yeah, I think once you have that and a couple other six, eight bell patterns down, I mean, by the way, if any of you need new rhythms, what is uh, Billy Martin's book? Is it Rhythm? Yeah, R-I-D-D-I-M. That's an amazing... It, oh, my God. It's not a method book. It's just source no. material. It's, in, it, it's it, endless for, source material. Yeah, it's crazy. That The 6-8 chapter of that and the 3-4 chapters of that, like, psh, yeah. you're, you're, you're set for life. So that feel to me was By the was way, super that might important. be one of my my biggest uh, regrets. He, I think he pitched that to Modern Drummer to publish, and we had to pass on it at the time. Yeah, that book. Sorry, Billy. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I digress. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, so let's say we have these two things down. First of all, why would you learn them? If you can't hear that by now, um, I- I'm telling you, learn these things when you're ready. This is not something that I teach somebody that's been playing for a year. But when you're ready, and maybe you're getting to that point where you're like, man, I'm a pretty decent rock drummer. I'm a slightly advanced funk drummer. I'm just kind of stuck in the mud. Go to this world, and this will open up all of your rock and funk drumming. So from here, let's move over to Brazil real quick and just visit the topic. This was just covered on Mike'sLessons.com in our live lesson, which was Samba versus Bossa Nova. Because I think you and I have both been the victim of any time you go with your feet, that is the Samba by (laughs) someone else. Right, right. And we're like, that has nothing to do with Samba. (laughs) And so just because that ostinato is happening with my feet, it doesn't mean I'm playing a samba. And so how do you determine the difference between bossa and samba? Yeah, this is, it's hard for me to distill it, but I think if, if I feel it as an eighth note pulse, you know, like the skating eighth notes, it's bossa. If I feel it as 16th with a halftime pulse, it's samba, mm-hmm. regardless of tempo. Okay. So if, if it has more of this like heavy halftime vibe, more kind of grounded and, and and rhythmic, lack of a better term, I think, of samba. If it's more of a skating, yeah. lighting, eighth note feel, it's bossa, regardless of the tempo for me. Yeah, well, that's I think the tempo is the thing that catches people off guard is they think samba is fast bossa, and it's not. They're two different genres of music. Yeah, very different feels. And it would be like saying, like, well, blues and jazz are the same. Jazz is fast blues. And it's like, whoa, no, no, <laughs> no, you, look, they're, they're not. Um, and so, so that's when I hear bossa nova to me, my, what changes the two for me is energy. Bossa, even up tempo bossa is still mellow at heart. It is meant to be mellow. Yeah, it's the purpose of this music in that culture is different than the purpose of party music, which would be samba. So the energy of a slow samba don't don't is going to have all this energy and up tempo bassa could still be way low in energy even mm-hmm. though your arm is on fire yeah it could be it could be cruising so i grabbed yeah. two i think kind of textbook versions of the two styles that kind of fall within the the, the generic latin jazz genre so this is a bossa nova um, by which record is this? This is Corcovado with Astrude Gilberto singing. Um, I believe this might have Joe Beam in it as well. So this, nice. is, to me, is kind of like quintessential. What is a bossa? It'll be a light, airy vocal with some light, airy rhythm underneath.
Quiet nights of quiet stars Quiet chords from a guitar Floating on the silence that surrounds us I think uh, the energy analogy was, was pretty spot on. Yeah, I mean that's... No one is moshing at this. That is, there's no way you would ever say that's a samba. Even if they played double time, you would never exactly. say that's a samba. And there are quite a few um, bassas. And, and keep in mind for any of you out there that are either originally from Cuba or from Brazil, we are talking about how this stuff came to us as American drummers and all of a sudden we were having to learn it. So we are showing the almost the jazz standards that I hate to say it, but almost the cheesier versions of this stuff. We're not saying that this is like hanging out in Brazil, listening to bossa Nova. This is the yeah. stuff that came to us where it's like, Oh, I have to cover this tune. Yeah. Not in 2020. And, I mean, that was like from the, from the late sixties, what we just listened. Right. To. <laughs> right. Um, but this took over, our culture in in the yeah. 60s and 70s you know so this was everywhere and uh if you guys when uh mike referenced joe beam he's talking about antonio carlos joe beam so he was the guy that wrote so many massive hits unfortunately in america he's mostly known for girl from ipanema but if you go down the what joe beam did and his contributions to brazilian music it's it's incredible yeah that was with, right, so uh, stan wanna, getz oh, on saxophone too so stan getz was really kind of the guy I think a lot of people associate with bringing the Basta to the jazz world. So you can go down yeah. the rabbit hole of his discography. There's there's tons of representation. Now, for me, it's harder to find samba music that's not street music. It's not carnival music. So the, I found right. a Sergio Mendes track where he brought that carnival street drumline feel to more of a pop song. So this is the example we have here. It's literally called Samba Batucada by Sergio Mendez. So you're going to hear a polar opposite energy as you were talking about. <laughs> So with that, it's it's tough to say because I think that if someone would have showed that to me in jazz band, I would have freaked out and been like, "Do so we're just going to get rid of our brass section and have them play percussion? Like That's <laughs> yeah, got to be a thousand people. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, well, and that's, I mean, that's what baducata means. Baducata means percussion-based samba music. So yeah. it's usually, if anything says baducata in it, usually there will be the only melody you'll hear will be from vocals. So there's no instrumentation other than drums. And, and a lot of times it is drums only because like you said, you're there, it's carnival based, it's marching. And then if there are, if there is any melody or melodic element, it'll be through group vocals, just like you heard in that track. So I think right away that wasn't that up tempo for Samba, but still the energy is quintuple what was happening in the bossa track yeah there's a heavy halftime feel with the low drums but then of everything up on top is just ripping 16th nonstop. yeah exactly so well i think if we go down the the road of uh calypso versus soca versus afrobeat i don't think elon will get a feature so let's park it there for now 
I think. Oh, I really want to go on my Calypso versus Soka rant. <laughs> Come on. I I just think that right now there's a good chance that the people of Brazil and Cuba are mad at us. I don't need Trinidad firing off emails too. Okay, so I hope you guys understand why this stuff is so important, but most importantly, why it's a common theme in probably most of your favorite drummers. When you talk to professional drummers, at some point, they had their world grooves chunk of their own personal history where they learned this stuff and they practiced. <laughs> Jesus. Was that a sneeze? <laughs> no. Got an elephant that in was, there? No, he's got, he's got man tools. But my boy. Yeah. Get it, Andre. Get it, Andre. Uh, so I think that there's this, like I was saying, a chunk of time in most professional drummers' careers where they did focus on this and they worked really heavily on this and this influenced everything from there on out. When I look at my personal drumming, I can, if I, if you just let me play drum set by myself, I can show so many little ties to this world. There's my right hand is constantly influenced by the rhythms of Cuba. Yeah. And even well, though even, I'm playing I mean, in more of a Dar- fusion. Your Dar- David Garibaldi connection, he's a huge student of, of Cuban music. So all mm-hmm. that syncopated funk stuff, he would, I'm sure, would say, I, I was studying Latin music, and that's where that of came course. from. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also something else to be said, which we didn't really touch on, and maybe we can save this for a different topic, but the Latin lope, which it's not swing and it's not straight, mm-hmm. But it's there. Like when you play, even uh, even in Brazilian, when you're playing those 16ths on a snare and giving that marching feel, it's not straight, but it's not a shuffle. Yeah, it's, the it's just got this thing. It's a weird you know? egg-shaped crowded middle subdivision. It's strange. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's the Latin lope. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Now it is time to talk about Our somebody that sponsored this podcast. <laughs> it's time to talk about somebody that sponsored this podcast. And here it happens. <laughs> Goes. All right, I had to thank our sponsor, Dream Symbols. And I said in the intro, we were going to compare the new Eclipse Series 23-inch ride to the 21-inch version. Um, at the NAMM show, I was kind of liking the 21 better. But the NAMM show is a terrible place to try to pick favorites and symbols because everyone in the room is hitting drums and symbols at the same time. So here we're going to hear them both recorded in a nice studio by Dream artist Phil Hawkins. So first, you're going to hear him playing the 21 and then you're going to hear him play on the 23. Very curious uh, which one is your favorite, so feel free to let us know.
learn more about these symbols, uh, go to Dream Symbols website or follow them on their YouTube channel, Dream Symbols and Gongs. Uh, Phil Hawkins did some original compositions where he's using the full set of Eclipse series symbols. You can hear these these series in action in a recording studio within music. All right, let's get back to it. And now it is time to talk about somebody that Mike and I have wanted to talk about for like three weeks, but there's just such a vast empire of work that this man has done that we just couldn't really bring ourselves to do it. So now it is time to talk about the great Elon Rubin. Uh, Modern Drummer kind of put Elon on the map, right? Yeah, he won the Undiscovered Drummer Contest. Exactly. That's how I heard about him when he was a kid. Yeah. Kill. I think he was. I think he was a teenager when he won. He was. I think he won the under eighteen category. So I don't remember yep. the year, but that was. I wasn't here, so it was before two thousand four. I think right around the time I uttered the words, "Yeah, but that dude's never going to do anything again." A few <laughs> years later, someone was like, "You know, he's in Paramore, right?" And I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that, that throws that out the window. Paramore, <laughs> Nine Inch Nails, yeah, Airwaves. Oh yeah, he has his own band where he sings and plays guitar and bass and keys and drums and programming. Does it all himself. And kills it. <laughs> And when you watch any documentary on Nine Inch Nails or on Angels and Airwaves and they constantly keep looking back and asking him, what do you think, Elon? It's like, ah, damn. Yeah. The dude is killing it on every level. Beast Fantastic player. but And not to mention, he's great on camera. I mean, he did a ton of videos for Reverb. Mm-hmm. He speaks really well to the camera. He's kind of the package deal because he can hear what should be happening he's playing the drum set from the role of a producer singer songwriter putting in the perfect parts and so i think he's definitely one of those drummers that you and i will be talking about for a very very long time so i think seeing him on stage with nine inch nails that was a little bit of a turning point for me the fact that he was in paramore amazing Mm -hmm. i actually thought the drums that he wrote were very similar to how i felt not drum part wise, but how I felt about what Travis did for Blink, which was the drums are now a feature in Paramore. Yeah. The drums were written with purpose. And I just, I was like, okay, I'm a fan. But it was still like, but you're in a pop punk band. Mm-hmm. Then when I saw him on stage with Pino on bass yeah. and holding it down and Pino checking in with him every once in a while to make sure he's in, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's following uh, Josh Freeze in, in that lineup. So, yes. And just killing it. And the fact that he's a multi-instrumentalist. There's times he'll come up front, play guitar when they're playing to like a drum machine. He's kind of, I think that gig is going to be nobody's gig until he says it's not his gig anymore. (laughs) You know, and even though it's Trent's band, I think Trent's like, okay, this is my guy from now on for this thing. Absolutely. So we're going to drop in first an example of his solo band. So this is uh, off of his new album, The Head... Heart, Mind, Body, and Soul. There's no head in the title. It's Heart, Mind, Body, and Soul by his band, uh, The New Regime. So this is the video for the song. Um, what is this? Body? I think this is Body. Anyway, just listen to it. It's all him. He's playing drums, guitar, bass, singing, keyboards. It's all Elon. So when through the drama sin You know we cannot make any exceptions Roll over you on the way to the top of the star Can't hear your petty objections Okay, so here's my only problem with New Regime 
you and I always talk about how we're running out of rock bands and when they do the Academy Awards, music awards and all that kind of stuff, they don't know who to get. So they always just get either the Foo Fighters or Mumford and Sons. They just don't know anyone that plays instruments. Yeah. My only problem is I want to see Elon do all that stuff at the same time. Yeah. I, know. I don't want to see him up front with a drummer. I want him to be the drummer. How would you also feel want about him to be the singer? singing and drumming? How do you feel about drummer singers in uh, bands? Okay. The guy that's on the wall next to me, Phil Collins, does it. And there's nothing I dislike more than when Phil walks back to the drum set. Yeah. And sings and plays, right? But yes. Don Henley it drives- did it. I don't like it. I, I, the only one I like watching do it is uh, our boy. Um, Anderson Park. Josh. No. Oh, Josh um, Dunn. Well, yeah, that's a different. Not Josh Dunn. No, not Josh, Josh Dunn. Dion. Josh Dion. Dion. Yeah, different different thing, though. That's yes. a one-man I show. Mean, well, that's a duo. Yeah. And even Anderson Park, is, as great as it is, I still kind of wish he was just Singing. at the front of the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I, I think maybe I'm just conflicted. I don't know what to watch. I I agree with you. I would rather. I mean, I think. Who are we to judge what Elon's doing with his own band? I would rather him be the drummer, killing it, and then hire a band to sing and and play guitar and and have yeah. someone just kind of matches his tone of his voice and just not make that the featured front man because he is he owns the stage when he plays drums. I mean, he owns it. Yeah. He turns into a whole different character. His hair, everything, just becomes this this beast. Well, let's talk about him on stage. We've got a live clip from Angels and Airwaves. This is live in Houston at the House of Blues. This is recent. This is only a couple months ago. This is December 22nd, 2019. Yep. Uh, and and I, I chose this because I wanted to make sure to illustrate that what you heard in the in the um, new regime is not production magic. The sound that you hear is the sound he produces. This is a really bad recording, and you're going to hear his drums are just cutting through like a record. I think Josh Rees was a great comparison because he just has it, but it's just, I don't know, man. Um, there's a decent amount of jealousy going on right now. I'm not, I'm not it's not just hair driven. I'm actually kind of pissed. <laughs> all right. We're going to end it with an excerpt from, you mentioned he did some reverb uh, lessons. They're all fantastic. So if you go to reverb's YouTube page, you'll find a bunch of great stuff that Elon did for them. Um, he talks about uh, Stuart Copeland in one. He talks about some bass drum exercises. He, the, my favorite one is when he talks about how he uses electronics and acoustic drums in Nine Inch Nails. That's the stuff that kind of blows my mind. Uh, but in this example, since we referenced Full in the Rain earlier when we were talking about the 6-8 for cuban beat, this is a chunk of Elon playing that beat from Full in the Rain, uh, the classic Led Zeppelin, John Bonham feel. So the whole video, if you want to find it, is Elon Rubin teaches John Bonham's Full in the Rain shuffle. And I think if there's anyone who has the authority to teach this beat, it's Elon Rubin.
right. Uh, don't watch the video. It's even more frustrating. <laughs> I haven't been this depressed in a while. It's what okay. I do, man. I bring you down and I keep you down forever. I know. Yeah, yeah. You don't understand the camp. You're supposed to build me up by the end of this segment. No, we're almost done. Good luck. Because he plays that open-handed in the verse and he plays it right-handed in the chorus. And you makes can't no tell. sense. That makes no sense. Uh, so, in reality, this is definitely somebody that has... I would say work their way into my favorite drummer list, meaning that I started off like, Oh, you're the kid that won the contest. Mm-hmm. Then like, all right, you've, you're, you're pretty badass. I mean, you're in a really famous pop punk band, but okay. Then, Oh crap. He's on stage with Pino Palladino and nine inch nails. Like what mm-hmm. is going on here? And then angels and airwaves. And then all of a sudden, because we're so lucky to have the access we get with social media, I'm getting to see interviews and I'm seeing him sing in his own band and I'm seeing him produce stuff and just it's it's impossible not to be a fan of this guy. We totally forgot the fact that he also is an entrepreneur and is part owner of Q Drums. <laughs> That's- wow. Okay. I was actually I wanted to bring up Q Drums because I think when you see Elon play, like you don't really know I don't know where to pigeonhole him company wise. Like mm-hmm. uh he could be a big bombastic uh, 24, 13, 16 DW guy. He could be a Tama guy going kind of more on the rock side of things, but Q fits him perfectly. And then once you know that he's part owner and he's got some say in things, then you know if this guy is this obsessed with every single detail in music, not just drumming, what is he bringing to the drum building process and the drum manufacturing process. Yeah. Just, you know, just insight wise. Yeah. That kit is a galvan that we heard in that last video it was a galvanized steel 131624 with, I believe that was a gentleman series, uh, copper snare. So, I mean, it just sounds like classic, but amazing high quality drums and they're just beautiful. They're very classy. So if you're looking for some new drums, definitely give Q drums a look. Sure. Some of the finest craftsmanship and just overall cool vibe, I think, from from any company out there. There we go. Three right. weeks. It was worth it. We there is that. your Elon Rubin segment. <laughs> and definitely check out his band, New Regime. Now it's time for candy. All right. So we're going to talk about the Tama SLP New Vintage Hickory Kit. I don't think we talked about this before. We talked about the Spruce, I believe, right. last Not time. Not the Hickory. So this is a bop kit um, with hickory shells. You all right? <laughs> okay. Nobody heard that. We're fine. <laughs> Wait a minute. You got a pedal? Of course I have a pedal. I have an on and off pedal. I call unfair. Anyway. <laughs> I do this for a living, man. <laughs> anyway, Tama has a, you know, the SLP line is their, what would you call it? Upper mid-level professional, okay. but not custom that's what i wanted to talk about is this line let's say this is three piece you're looking at fifteen hundred dollars you throw in a snare total of 1850 so 350 for the snare 15 for the kit this is the in my opinion and you do this way more than i do this is the tough spot i think it's very easy to create a great 750 dollar drum set and once you're at three thousand dollars no problem this is the hard spot like where do you create that mid-level professional drum set looks sound 
1850, nowadays people expect this kind of look. I mean, this looks like a custom kit. Yeah, I mean, think little, little. Well, I think the first thing is they limit the options. Like this is the kit. There's you can't like order any wrap you want or any finish you want and any heads you want. Like this is this is the kit. If you want the SLP new vintage hickory kit, it's going to be the same one that the guy gets from the shop in the next town. So that's I think that helps production. Like just they have one thing to build and that's it. Absolutely. But having those dark uh, wood hoops with the white ring pearl inlays on them, I think that is a simple thing. Like it just ups the class of this thing right away. Uh, and hickory has just a grain to it that is gorgeous. This reminds me of the veneers that they were using. And maybe you know better than I do. I think they were veneers. But in the old Camcos, the old Rogers, when you would see like a wood grain mm-hmm. Rogers kit, and yeah, it just had so much grain to it. Yep. Um, so Hickory just looks beautiful on this kit. It's got the mini tube lugs on the toms, which is, I think, really cool. But they're beefier than just your standard, I got them from World Max tube lugs. Like mm-hmm. they, they're definitely Tama's SLP lugs. And so size wise, we've got what? Is that an 18 inch kick? Yeah, it's a it's 8 by 12. 14 by 14 toms you get the 14 by 18 bass drum and there's also the 5 by 14 matching snare if you want to add it on and it comes with um you know a tom mount on the bass drum and on the side of the rack tom but you know thomas hardware their tom mount is is actually has a lot of suspension built into it so it's mounted to the shell but i didn't notice any loss of of tone these shells hickory shells have a very short note to begin with so you're not going to get that like 10 second sustain from the drums regardless of what mount you use but i didn't notice any change of of tone when the drum was on or off the mount whatsoever that's awesome um yeah so it's a great bop kit uh we should probably drop in some audio first and then talk more about it so this Let's is do it. we'll do a you know super high jazz sound and then go kind of way down so we'll go high medium and low jazz sound so that's what i went for first like can it do the bop thing and i think uh, absolutely yes it does does the max roach bebop thing and then it was like well could i take this to a small like top 40 gig in a small room and have it do that so the mid and the low that's where i felt like okay this has really got something extra like my old slingerland bop kit couldn't do that like that super uh, low fluffy bass drum thing the toms are real punchy is, oof. if i found a used one of those Bass drums on reverb, 
Yeah, I, I mean that bass drum is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I was really, I'm really impressed with the rate, the lower range of these, and and the fact that I didn't have to put any tape on it. Like, they just the note is just short. It hits and gets out of the way, and so the microphones really dug it. I think if you're playing maybe music where you need to take up more space, you're going to feel a little nude <laughs> playing these. Like, sure, you hit the drum and like there's silence pretty shortly after, but. In most cases, we're over dampening because the drums ring too much. So these kind of get rid of that totally. problem. So <clears throat> it says in here that you felt that or that Hickory was fairly close to to Maple. Is that a fair assessment? Like when you played it, did it feel like a Maple kit, or did it feel like oh, this is something different? Because I mean, I don't I don't own a Hickory kit. I don't think you own a Hickory kit. It's kind of a, a weird wood that we don't get to experience very often. Yeah, it's it's it doesn't have the wolfy low of maple, so okay. and that it's a little bit more like a, a birch in that way, where you're getting kind of more impact, but it had some other stuff. So it, you know, it's it's one of those in betweeners. You know, it's, okay. I think yeah. of maple just being the big, soft, pillowy like that's your class. What everyone thinks of a drum, you can get a lot of sound out of it. Yeah, this there was there was definitely a limited amount of sound it'll produce. If there's any gotcha. any way to think of it compared, it was like it had a, it had a governor on just the, the which actually might be a plus for the person that's buying a small kit for small gigs. Yeah, exactly, and is hoping to not have to you know control it too much. Yeah, so. but not dead sounding. Like it was it was bright and clear, but but yeah. controlled. So yeah. it's cool. It's a beautiful kit. I mean, I hope that people, if you get a chance, go see Mike's video on this because I think. I think the video shows off these shells and the look of this kit way more than the picture does. Um, the stock picture probably from Tama is like, it looks like a drum set, but when you see the video, you can see the depth in the grain. Yeah. It almost <clears> has like <throat> an ash me. kind of grain to it. Like real, yeah. real wide, grain. real deep. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. All right. Uh, that is your candy for the week. Now it is time to get to, are we doing audio questions? Yeah, we got three of them. We'll see how many we can get through. Let's Not start scared. with uh, Spencer Bowman up first. Hey, Mike and Mike. I hope you're doing well. This is Spencer Bowman, um, and I have a question for both of you. Uh, so lately, I've been trying to get more consistent when it comes to creating video content for the social medias, and I'm running into a bit of a problem. So I'm, I'm in a rehearsal space where anytime I need to record something, I have to set up all of the recording gear every time I want to do it. So I'm, I'm placing all the microphones, I'm testing the microphones, I'm setting all the levels, I'm setting up the camera gear and the tripods and focusing things and making sure the memory cards are, are correct. And I'm doing the entire recording side of the setup every time I want to record anything. And that ends up being about a 30 to 40 minute process for me. And I, I find that I get into like technical brain when I do that and I find it really, really tough when it comes to actually hit record. I find it tough to switch into sort of more creative, um, drum brain. And I do some of my worst drumming when I'm in the, the tech brain. So I'm wondering if either of you being two people who create a lot of drum video content and do your own recordings. I'm wondering if you've ever experienced anything like that and if you might have any tips to switch quickly from tech brain to creative drumming brain. Hope that makes sense. Thanks so much. Take care. Man, what a great question. It's great. I, I've known Spencer for a long time um, and 
I think it's great that he's even able to recognize that in the process. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of because yours is yours kind of set up to be turn it on and go. You don't have to think about the setup too much anymore. At this I point. would say, yeah, for the for the most part. I mean, my sound definitely is. My sound is always done because yeah. Hell, my my overhead is bolted to the rafters. In right. The <laughs> right. So yeah, I, all I can do is move my kit backwards and forwards a couple inches. Um, <laughs> camera wise, that is something that every single time it. Man, there's so many little factors. It could be just the shirt that I'm wearing changes Mm -hmm. how the light is bouncing up towards my face or the lack of light if I'm wearing a black shirt. So I do have to go through quite a setup process. Usually what I'll do is I'll film a fake lesson that's maybe a minute long, and then I edit that like it's going to be a real lesson. And through that edit, I'm finding all the problems that would have shown up so that I don't waste like, oh, I just did a 10-minute lesson the camera's underexposed. The, mm. I forgot to turn on the backlight. Like, so I kind of do that first to make sure that's out of the way. But I, yeah, I think your situation is probably closer to Spencer's. Yeah, for me, I try to just set make it as seamless as possible. So I don't like if I'm just doing something for Instagram and it's not like a like a full production quote unquote video. I don't worry about more than one camera. I don't worry about sometimes even using my studio mics i use you know the shore mv88 if it's a real quick win or I use the uh, roll and go mixer and i i plug my yamaha ead 10 into a little mixer so i'm trying to get the audio portion just like turn it on and go and then i just set my iphone up on a tripod and hit record now i think i guess the the bigger challenge of how do you shift from right to left brain or whatever i think that's the whole point of doing it like can you hit the red button go sit at your drums and immediately get into a creative space. For me, that's yeah. the challenge. I don't want to have to go through a ritual. I've got to go outside and I've got to take a walk and I've got to, no, it's like just whatever you're feeling, turn it on and go and see what you put out there. And I know for me, after doing that every day for a couple of years, I went from, I'm never going to post any of this to that's going up today. It's fine. You know, I've gotten to yeah. that point. So I think just the the process of doing it and just being because that's a lot of for me performing live too. Like there's almost never a perfect situation where you have a green room and you get to warm up and right. Yeah. It's like get there five minutes before the hit and go hit it. And I, I yeah. want to be able to just like instantly get into assassin mode, literally. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that the thing that you're probably going through, Spencer, is this thing that you're doing because I've you know followed your career for quite a few years now, this is still very new to you. So reps are key. You have to keep doing this and doing this and doing this. And I mean, if you were here at the studio, Oh my gosh, you would, you would literally think I've lost my mind. I'm talking to myself the whole time. (laughs) And I go, you know, Press record on camera one. We press record on camera two. Then I walk over to camera three. Like hey, we've got check. record. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like I have to say it out loud, and um, and I'm snapping and I'm clapping to get all my markers. And you know, it you just. But I didn't do that seven years ago. Seven years ago, I just thought I was too cool to talk out loud, and I would just think I did everything. I realized, oh, I didn't press record on the audio. Yeah, and so I have exactly. I have like a pre-flight check that I go through. Uh, and then I usually will get, because I use three loud snare hits as my markers, usually I'll play for about 45 seconds of just noodling to get back into that zone. Mm. And then I hit my three markers so that my videos and everything just starts at those three snare hits. But I think the more reps you get in, Spencer, the better it's going to be, buddy. Just keep 
keep working at it and just know that someday as you keep building your teaching empire that you're crushing right now, that someday you'll have a space where everything is set up for the most part. And I would say for me, instead of 45 minutes, like what you're talking about, Spencer, it takes me about seven minutes. Uh, I still have to go through a few things, but it is nice to have things kind of set up. Cool. I, um, we should probably move on the picks of the week. We're getting long in the tooth with this episode. Take that, audio <laughs> questions. We, we probably should have more. picked some picks of the week because uh, as I look around, uh, this tea kettle here is looking pretty good. Y'all should buy it. Uh, I have no pick of the week, man. Uh, I will say this. I do want to uh, let me go back to my pick of the week last week. I okay. recommended the Canon M50 yes, with the Sigma 16 mil lens. I just want to make sure that I at least point out the negative using it uh, quite a bit lately. The only negative that I've really found uh, now by no means is it a $2,000 camera. It's a $500 camera, but as far as the footage it puts out, it looks phenomenal. The real, the only negative I've found is for somebody making drum videos like I do, the memory card is located at the bottom of the camera, which means every time you press stop, and you want to get that memory card out, you have to take the tripod mount off of the camera. That, to me, is extremely frustrating because of how many videos I make per day. Mm-hmm. I think this camera was meant to be a vlogging camera, meaning that it would always be handheld. You'd always have access to the bottom of the camera. No big deal. Uh, I still love the footage. It's, it's cranking out. I'm using it a lot at home for my student reviews and stuff where I review uh, students' videos. But as far as making 20 drum videos in a day, that's a frustration to me for sure, is having to take off the base plate every single time I need to eject the memory card. And I am somebody that I don't film in batches of, like, leave the memory card and do 10 videos. Mm-hmm. I do a video, dump the card. Video, dump the card. Otherwise, I get lost. Okay. Yeah, I, I put those in my cart on Amazon and just let it sit there for a while. <laughs> that's all you need to do. Uh, It'll probably uh, get removed, but I was almost there. I was almost the, there. The Canon EOS RP, if you can spend the extra 500 bucks and get into that $900 range, that is going to get you closer to being future-proof with Canon because they have officially re- released their last DSLR camera ever, which is the Canon 1DX Mark III. They just released that a couple of weeks ago, and now everything they release moving forward will either be in their cinema line or in a mirrorless body. So something to think about. We can talk about that more on my podcast, Camera Talk with Mike, launching <laughs> neck numbers. <I'm just> <laughs> All right. My All right. pick of the week, uh, gosh, it must have been a year ago. I I pointed you to the Bailey Method with Dan Bailey. It's a Vimeo course. Uh, yeah. Method one was on like drum tech stuff, tuning, basic mic selection and all of that he just put out method two which he's calling advanced sounds so he goes more into dampening and muffling uh, more specific mic mic placement for each instrument you know how to you know snare drum selection and choosing drums he plays he does like a live tracking for three songs no yeah three songs and then he goes through and actually shows all of his mixing moves for each of those tunes. So it's it's another deep dive. If you're in this this home recording world, you might dig it. So it's on Vimeo on demand. If you search for the Bailey Method Two by Dan Bailey, um, I've watched it several times now, and I and I keep picking up little little t- tips and tricks along the way. So it's worth it. I think it's like 150 bucks for like three three hours of content. That's awesome. Before we get out of here, let me ask you: When you're doing stuff like that, because obviously. The modern world of video content is very different than what you and I grew up with. When you and I were 
even teenagers, we sat down, put in the, either the videotape or the DVD. We sat down in our living room and watched this stuff. Yeah. When you're watching content like this now or, say, Aaron Sterling's Sound of Sterloid, is it just on your computer kind of in the background and you're hoping to pick things up? Or do you dedicate time to just stare at the screen? Both. Um, okay. Like, yeah, both. Some, a lot of times, I, if I have it on the background, I'm more listening for the sounds. Like, what does it sound like? What you know? What kind of tones is he getting? And then, and then I'm like, oh well, what you know? If he's if he's talking a lot, that's when I'll stop and pay attention. So I have it on my iPad usually. So I, okay. at any point, I can just turn it on. It's on my desktop here at the office. Um, I don't. Very rarely do I sit down and watch, start to finish an entire course like this. It's three hours. Right. So yeah. like today, I might pick, uh, you know, how did the engineer of the tune Lost Dogs? And I'll just watch that 16-minute thing, like full attention, and then move on. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I kind of do <clears throat> Excuse me, a similar thing where the first pass, even if it takes me four sessions, the first pass is stare at the screen. Like mm-hmm. I carve out time to sit either in the lobby here or at home, and I do it. And like I said, it might take four or five sessions because I'm only doing 30 minutes at a time. Then after that, it's it's on, and I'm it's almost like watching your favorite movie twenty times, and I'm waiting to hear that line that I didn't hear the first time. Yeah, you always because I was distracted. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think it's it's awesome. Awesome. Well, check that out, everyone. Thank you guys for being around for episode two hundred and twenty nine. Uh, two hundred twenty nine. Thanks for putting up with the drilling that's going on right now (laughs) and uh i will let you guys know what we are building next week because it will be all done on monday brother mike have an amazing week buddy you too um who's sending us out i didn't send it to you did i (laughs) it's a no but i i can feel it damn this dude's good or she is they're good Ooh, good (laughs) fill all right see you next week whatever (laughs) 